The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, this is, this is a good morning. You can just kind of feel it. Um, but more than that, I have been so excited to preach this morning uh, because what I realized in, in studying is I get this really cool opportunity just to tell you some really good news this morning. So I've been looking forward to this all week. Um, listen, I know that this is a high travel weekend. And uh, because of that, I know that some of you may, are, may be here because you're one of those travelers. So if you're here and you're traveling with us for 4th of July weekend, we want to thank you for being here. We are so grateful to have you as we um, look into God's word this morning. Um, listen, in the summer, we spend our time in the Psalms. And that's kind of our normal rhythm. If you're new with us, that's what we do each summer. And, um, and so normally you would expect me right now to say, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them, grab them, turn with me to the book of Psalms. But I'm not going to do that yet. Before we step into our Psalms, I want to take a little detour. And I hope it makes sense why. If it doesn't, just follow with me anyway. But um, we're going to lay some groundwork first. We're going to look at two scriptures actually before we get to our Psalm this morning. And so if you do have your Bibles, would you grab them, open with me, before you get to Psalms, go a little bit more to your right and land with me in Isaiah. All right, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Uh, by the way, I haven't said this recently, but if you don't have a Bible, um, I know that the vast majority of us always have a Bible because it's right here on your, on your phone. Uh, but if you don't have one, if you don't have a paper one, there should be one around you, a hardback, black, or blue one. You can use that here. But also, listen, if you don't have one, feel free to take it. You don't have to tell us about it. It's our privilege, our great joy to give away as many Bibles as we can. So if you don't have one, you can even sneak it, but that makes you look suspicious. Just grab it. Just walk it out. All right. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah first, Isaiah 61. So Isaiah 61, when we get to Isaiah, this is such a powerful and hope-filled chapter. It's really good. And right in the middle of it, Isaiah says something that I want us to dig into uh, together. Isaiah 61, look with me at verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself um, with her jewels. Okay, let's look at this. Isaiah says, I am rejoicing greatly, right? Greatly. I'm praising my God. And why is he praising his God in this, in this verse? Why is his heart here overflowing with gratitude? Well, he says, and I quote, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with robe of righteousness. So we have this image here of Isaiah standing, standing there, being covered by, clothed by God. This coat, this robe being like wrapped around him and this robe, these clothes are salvation and righteousness and they're just like wrapping him up around him. 
And so Isaiah here is commenting on how beautiful that is. It's like a, a, a groom's fancy headdress, he says, or a bride's fancy jewels. It's, it's this righteousness, these robes of salvation, they're beautiful. More than beauty, though, it's not just that they're beauty, beautiful. They are also alien. And I do not mean UFO or aliens from outer space. It's not what I'm, not what I'm getting at here. Um, when I say alien, what I mean is something outside of ourselves. Okay, so... Isaiah is talking about a robe here of salvation and of righteousness that are beautiful, but they are also not his. They're not his robes. Uh, They're not his clothes. It's not his salvation or his righteousness. They are God's robes that God is wrapping around him in beauty, the salvation, justice, and righteousness. But they're alien to Isaiah. Isaiah is praising God for a righteousness that didn't come from within him, but that came in from the outside. They're alien. Um, by the way, this is the heart, really, of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, that we, we've sang this many times and in many different ways already this morning. But we who are sinners fall short of the glory of God. We're unrighteous. We're not just, not right. And yet, because of Jesus, we're clothed in the righteousness of God, made just. He wraps us in a righteousness that is not our own we're all about that alien righteousness as followers of Jesus. And, and here, he's just, Isaiah's wrapped up in it, which leads Isaiah back to say, and, and it leads us to do exactly what Isaiah says here. We have nothing to boast about then outside of our God, because Isaiah, in verse 10, he says, I will greatly what, rejoice. All that's left to do is to rejoice and praise because we didn't earn it. It was wrapped around us, and so we rejoice and we, we praise and because this righteousness is not our own. It, 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 we're led to this. Okay, that was pit stop number one. Now, turn more to the right with me. We're going to the New Testament this time, and, and we're going to land in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Um, so we've heard the prophet Isaiah now. Um, I think it's only fair that now we hear from the Apostle Paul as well uh, about this, okay? So, In this letter, Paul is encouraging the church in the gospel, and then we get to chapter 5, and in verse 21, where Paul says this, for our sake, and that's for the sake of fallen humanity, for our sake, for the sake of his children, the church, for our sake, he made him, that is, he, God the Father, God the Father made him, that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So he made him to be sin, meaning through the work of Jesus on the cross, being obedient to the cross. On that cross, all of our sin was placed on him. And he took it. He took it all, the full weight, the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus willingly takes it. And, And how? How does he take it? Well, he says, because he who took our sin, this verse says, knew no sin. So Jesus lives the life you and I cannot live and takes our sin on his shoulders on the cross. So for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, which is just incredible. We could just stop there and talk about that one all morning. But why? Why did he do that? Why did Christ do this? Why did Christ give himself to take our sin on his shoulders? Well, it says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, 
we might become the righteousness of God. Church, that is exactly what Isaiah said so many pages earlier, so many years earlier. We see the righteousness of God here being applied to us, like a robe wrapping around us. He uses this language, Paul does, in him, like in the robe, like in him, putting on Jesus. We are in him. Again, this is an alien righteousness, not a righteousness that's of ourselves, but it's God's righteousness in Christ. Um, so Isaiah, like, like Isaiah, like Paul, church, you and I, we who are in Christ, who now trust in Jesus and follow Jesus, we're clothed with an alien righteousness that is not our own. It just wraps us up. This is really good news. For anyone who knows the truth about yourself, that you are not good on your own. Um, that now through Christ, here's the coolest thing. When God looks at you, you who are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that surrounds you. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. This is why the truth of the gospel is not, hey, try harder to be better. You can do it. Just keep plugging at it. You can be awesome. That's not the gospel. This is not the gospel. In fact, um, Isaiah, you don't need to turn with me here. Just a few chapters after what we read in 64 says, um, I'll put it up here. Uh, We have all become like one who is unclean. Listen to this. In all of our righteous deeds, those are the ones that are ours. All of those are like polluted garments. So how about that? Like even our best attempts at being good, being righteousness, are here, scripture says, like polluted or soiled garments. I don't need to go into the graphics on that one. That's what it is. Your best attempt at being good is polluted, soiled garments, Scripture says. Our only hope, church, is an alien righteousness, one that comes from outside. A righteousness that comes from outside, from God, wraps us up. So only God can meet God's standards. So through God, in his grace, God meets his standards on our behalf through the work of Jesus. There's a theological term um, called imputation. And we're all about double imputation here. Not amputation, totally different thing. Imputation. Imputation means to ascribe something to someone else. And so in Christ, we have this double imputation. Imputation number one, we have our sin being ascribed to Jesus on the cross. Imputation number one. Our sin ascribed to him. He takes it all. Imputation number two then is we have Christ's righteousness now ascribed to us, applied to us. It's this beautiful, great exchange, and that's central to the good news of the gospel. It's this double ascribing, this double imputation that we have. In Christ, you are the righteousness of God. In Christ, you are righteous. Not because you're righteous, you're polluted and and, uh, soiled garments, as Isaiah said that, not me. Um, In Christ, though, because of his righteousness, you are the righteousness of God. This is what we see throughout Scripture, new and old. We see it back with Abraham. I don't have time to go here, but you see even he believed in God and what? It was credited to him as righteousness. 
That's a scribe. That's, that's imputed language. Like He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is by faith. Why? Because it's never about what we can do. Never has been. It's about this alien righteousness that we are wrapped up in. So that now in Christ, I'll say it again, you are the righteousness of God. Now, I told you I was excited to preach this because in reality, we haven't even got to our psalm yet, but this is really good news that we get to stand on this morning. And so, I start here before we get to our psalm because I want to lay this foundation for us because it will change the way you read this psalm. I want to invite you now. Now that you know the truth about yourself in Jesus, um, or you're reminded of that fact in Jesus, I'm, I want to invite you to turn with me to our psalm. Psalm 112 is our psalm this morning. Psalm 112. Um, I want to read it. I just want to read it straight through. And, uh, and then we can unpack it uh, together, okay? Psalm 112 says this. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth, teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Okay. This psalm says so much about the righteous man. Like, so much. We see this man is blessed by God, verse 1. We see the man's family and his possessions are blessed, verses 2 and 3. We see that this man is generous and just, verses 5 and 6. We see, we see through 6 and 8, verses 6 through 8, that this man is not moved, steady, stabled, will be remembered forever, is not afraid, is not anxious of bad news. We see in verse 9, he's honored. Right? We see a lot about this righteous man. Multiple times in the psalm, we see him actually described for his righteousness. And this righteous man stands in stark contrast with our final verse, verse 10, with the man in our final verse, the wicked man. And so here's my question. When you read a psalm like this, what do you do with it? Um, what do we do with the psalm that talks about, geeks out about the righteous man? What do we do with it? Um, because the reality is when you look at Psalm 112, it's not giving you a list of do A, B, and C, and D, like do these things, these propositions. It's not doing that. Instead, it just basically gives us this description. It's, it's describing a righteous man. And so when we read it, what do we do with it? 
do you, do you maybe deflect? When I say deflect, maybe you read this and you're like, well, that sounds great. This righteous man sounds awesome. Now back to real life. Deflect, right? Do you read it and maybe if you're honest with yourself and you do a little reflecting, you get kind of depressed and discouraged and you're like, well, that's awesome. I'm just not righteous like that. Like, I don't delight in God's commandments like this as I should. I wish this applied to me, but I'm a sinner and I fall short. Maybe you go that route. What do you do with the psalm that talks about a righteous man when you know you? What do you do? Here's the thing. I think our psalm actually tells us what to do. And I, um, <laughs> I was studying this for several days just kind of picking at this and before I, I saw this, and it's so simple, and it's so straightforward. In fact, our psalm tells us exactly what to do. It starts with it, with the first three words of our psalm that simply lay out before us, praise the Lord, exclamation mark. Praise the Lord. What are you to do with this psalm? You are to praise the Lord. This is a psalm of praise. So, When we read this psalm about the righteous man, we're not meant to deflect or get discouraged or get depressed. We're meant to praise God. And how on earth is that possible? How do we do that? Well, that's why I started with the foundation I started with this morning. In Christ, as a Christian, we know, we trust in Christ and in him. We've talked about this. You have been clothed, church, in righteousness, that's not your own. We've been wrapped up in Christ's righteousness. He who knew no sin took your sin so that in him, through him, we are the righteous ones of God. So we praise God through this psalm because through Christ, church, you are the righteous man in this psalm. We stand, in other words... Some of you are like, that doesn't make me feel good. I'm getting a little creeped out. Listen, we stand on an alien righteousness. I'm not saying you're awesome. I'm saying he's awesome and he's wrapped you and you stand on his righteousness now so that through Christ, we are the righteousness of God. In Christ, you are the man, you are the woman that this psalm describes because this psalm describes the one in Christ, the one who is righteous, the one who is a Christian. And I want to I want to go through a couple statements that this psalm makes. Um, first of all, we see in the first verse, "Hey, you're blessed." It says, "Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly, listen to this, delights in His commandments." Um, in Christ, you are a new man, and you've been given this new heart. And I'm not saying like you naturally maybe love to, you know pick this up and just read this all day. Maybe that's not your natural disposition, but it's wonderful when Christ does a work in us that there is this hunger that he gives us for the things of God, for the word of God, the fear of the Lord. And it's not out of fear or obligation or pride or arrogance, but the psalm says the righteous one, the one that is in Jesus, follows the word of God in delight. In in Christ, we delight in the word of God. Verse two says his offspring will be mighty. In the land, 
Um, the generation of the upright will be blessed. I don't usually think of my kids being like mighty, like, but I get why they did it then. Um, but I, I don't typically do that. But when I, when I read this, though, it did make me ask, like, does this mean that as a Christian, we can guarantee that we're going to have awesome Christ-following mighty offspring, upright and just? Listen, that is not our guarantee. Um, parents, especially parents of older children, you know that there is no guarantee with your children. Um, you can do all we can do to point them to Jesus, shepherd their hearts, disciple them, praise God for that, but ultimately you do not control them. They're going to make their own decisions. And so this verse isn't giving us this guarantee like that, like, like this formula that we can walk in. But what this verse is doing is giving us a principle here that God blesses the faith and character and virtues which are passed on through discipleship in the home. He blesses that. And, and although our kids in the next generation, they're going to make their own decisions. They have three boys, one on, a girl on the way, and they're all going to make their own decisions. It is terrifying. But blessed are the righteous ones, kids. Kids are blessed when their parents are in Jesus. This is not a guarantee of their future decisions. But the truth here is that even in a fallen world of sinfulness and brokenness, the generation of the upright, as the psalm says, or the righteous, will be blessed. Homes with parents who love and follow Jesus are blessed. Churches with members who love and follow Jesus are blessed. Um, communities with people, neighbors who love and follow Jesus, we are blessed. Because the generation of the upright or the righteous will be blessed. Right after that, in verse 3, we get to this probably stickier verse in the psalm, especially coming off of what I talked about last week. It says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Okay, if I had like a sound effect, like I'd love to do that record screeching thing, I'm not going to try it, but you know what I mean. Um, because listen, if you were here last week, you might hear this and think like, wait a second. I took a whole chunk of our time last week to talk about, to tear apart this belief known as the prosperity gospel that says, hey, we believe God loves us and demonstrates his love by making us happy and healthy and wealthy. And so come to Jesus, get blessed, play, pray big prayers, have big faith, plant big seeds, and God will rain down big rain in the form of cars and houses and dollars and good doctor reports. Okay. I can't make that sound effect, okay? Um, I took a good chunk of our time last week to tell you why that scripturally speaking and also just practically real life speaking is, it is a lie and it is harmful and it is doing damage in the American church today. We talked about that. We just blew it apart. We said prosperity gospel is like whew, swing and a miss. It's, it's a big swing. It's a big miss. And then this Psalm says that wealth and riches are going to be in his house. Is this the prosperity gospel right here? Um, I'm glad you asked. It's not. No. Because scripture doesn't contradict scripture. So what is this saying? Um, here's the reality. Some of the godliest people on the planet are very poor. And at the same time, look through the gospels, and you'll see that um, 
wealth rather than it being kind of an outcome of our faith. Like if you have more faith, you got more wealth. Listen, as you look through the gospels, wealth can also and easily be a hindrance and a distraction to our faith. We see that in scripture. So the point here is the heart of the person, not the net worth of the person. I want to point to something deeper because I believe this psalm challenges us to kind of in Christ to zoom out because we can consider the blessings, um, not just the material ones, like the paper in your wallet and then the number of your, that's in your bank account, um, the size of your investments, but we have this joy now to consider the blessing zoomed out that we have in Christ, which is way better than the prosperity gospel ever could deliver. We have the blessings that we see in Ephesians 1.3 that says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want to quote Spurgeon here because why not? Best preacher ever, okay? Who, who said this, what wealth can equal that of the love of God? What riches can rival a contented heart? It matters nothing that the roof is thatched and the floor is of cold stone. The heart which is cheered with the favor of heaven is rich to all the intents of bliss. Wealth and riches are in his house. Yes, at times that might be physical, material, but more importantly, that is spiritual and eternal. In Christ, regardless of what this means, inflation, regardless of your house price that maybe went up or is going down, regardless of stock markets, listen, we are still blessed in Christ forever, apart from those temporal things. And so we look at this because it says his righteousness endures forever. So the riches and blessings in Christ endure forever. Why? Because the righteousness and riches of Christ is eternal. So we stand on that. Verse four of our psalm says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. So no matter the darkness, there is light. Reminds me of Jesus's words. It says, I am the light of the world. Same thing here. Whoever follows me is not gonna walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. That's what it means to be in Christ. We see in verse five um, that this psalm deals with, starts to look at the righteous man's generosity. It says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends and conducts his affairs with justice. And I love this because it reminds me of Jesus who, who was selfless and kind, who willingly gave himself. So of course we are in Christ or who follow Christ are going to generous, generously give ourselves to others. In fact, if you skip down to verse 9, you see it again, that he is distributed freely, he's given to the poor. We are generous in Christ because Christ is generous to us. We give because he gave. We care for the poor because Christ cared for me, cared for us. We give freely because Christ gave to us freely. And then we turn, now I know I'm going fast, but I'm going to wrap it together here we turn to my favorite section of the entire psalm. And let me just remind you, in Christ, this psalm's talking about you. Get ready. Listen to this, verse six. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse seven. 
More than that, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And then verse eight, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Okay, this might be the most countercultural section of scripture for us today. We live in this constant state of um, fear and anxiety um, with an ongoing, never-ending news cycle of bad news. Just like going and going. It's like a, a uninterrupted bad news at all times that you can get. Right now on your phone, don't do this now, you could look and I guarantee on your news feed, you will get bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, something funny, bad news, bad news, bad news. It's just, it's there. And so we got inflation, war in Ukraine, we got submarines, we got politics, we've got fires and natural disasters, we've got drought, and then sometimes on the very same day, floods. You got it all. You got violence and strikes and crime, this flow of bad news, and it is, is it's exhausting. I know people who will not go to the doctor because they're afraid of getting bad news. They don't want to get tested because they don't want to know. Maybe you're one of these people, but maybe when your phone goes off, you um, have this spike in your heart rate of anxiety of going, oh, what's wrong now? I call you out, but listen, I'm right there with you. If you want to stress a pastor out, text him or call him late on a Saturday night, early on a Sunday morning. That'll do it. What's wrong now? What's going on? Like, um, what can happen? What, what? All these things flood our mind. And what, we, what can happen with this is that we can live our lives with kind of a chronic level of anxiety where we're constantly living with this what now mentality. What now? What's coming? What now? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the next difficulty. Christian, if you're living your life like this, I want you to know this. You are believing a lie of the enemy that you are not safe. You're believing a lie. This is a lie. It's a crippling lie of the enemy. And this psalm lets us see the mindset that we are able to have when we understand that we are in Christ. And so I want to look at this. Verse 7, he's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm and trusting in the Lord. I love that and I want that. But in my study this week, it hit me that in Christ I have that. This doesn't need to be aspirational. This is what we are given as the people of God. In Christ, we are firm, we are steady, we are safe. There's no need to be anxious with news and come what may. We don't need to be afraid. Why? Because we are in Christ and we are his and we are secure forever. This is ours. This is our promise that we are his forever and we will not be moved. We will not be removed. And there's a song that we sing um, here. And I've had this song on repeat all week. I actually, um, I asked the team to uh, sing it here in a bit. Um, but I want to read some of these lyrics because I think when read next to the psalm, we get this beautiful image. Listen to this. First verse of this song. Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. 
when the winds of doubt blow through me, my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. I want you to think about that imagery for a second. In Christ, we have the storms raging. We have life, you know this, goes up, goes down, uh, unpredictable at times. But what we know and what we hold to because of the word of God is that the anchor through all of that is steady. He is sure. Christ is our anchor. You may be in a storm this morning. But in Christ, you are anchored. Verse 7, he, that's the righteous man, that's the man in Christ, that's the woman who is in Christ Jesus. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord, meaning, come what may, my anchor is steady. Your anchor is steady, so I will not be moved. I think verse three might be my favorite verse of this entire song. Verse three says this, uh, Christ the assurance to the anchor, through the floods of unbelief, hopeless somehow, oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Through the floods here, those moments, I love that this song points out those moments where we struggle with doubt. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but we have all related to that. And even in the doubt, this song reminds us that the anchor goes deeper than the doubt. The anchor goes deeper than the unbelief. And so we lift our eyes to Christ, and I love the imagery of this. We lift our eyes to the cross, to Calvary. Why? Because it's there that he who knew no sin took our sin that we may become the righteousness of God. We look to him because it was there, the song says, that his love was forever proved to you, and the cross is where we have what is called our ballast of assurance. Okay, confession moment. I've sang this song for years and never knew what a ballast was. I'm not going to quiz you on that right now because I bet some of you don't know either. Um, A ballast is a heavy material. It's sometimes iron, sand, bigger ships will have lead. And what it is, is this heavy material gets put in the bottom of the ship in order to improve its stability as the waves crash into it. So without the ballast, that boat's going to be going wah, 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 like if you you know, build a paper boat and make waves, right? Um, But with the ballast, what it does is it just stabilizes. So even though the waves are going to town, the boat is stable. That's a ballast. And here, think about that powerful imagery of stability. Where is the ballast found? Well, it's in the boat when the storms are coming, waves are crazy. We got Christ. We know he's our anchor. He's not moving. But then it says, I think to Calvary. I think to the cross because there is our ballast of assurance, meaning there we even have stability through storms. And we have stability because we look and we know. Verse 8 says this of our psalm. His heart is steady. 
he will not be afraid. This is our hope in Christ. I want to remind us finally then of the last verse. I can't quote the song without the last verse. It says, Christ, the sure and steady anchor, when we face the wave of death, when these trials give way to glory, and as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. I love this because it reminds us that our hope is for today. Whatever storm you're facing today, there is hope that anchor doesn't move. You have a ballast you can look to, okay? But even more than that, please, please remember, our hope in Christ is eternal. It never ends. This song talks about going through death itself. But guess what? Our hope, the blessing in Christ does not end in death. That's why in our psalm, in verse 6, it says the righteous will never, ever, ever, I'm adding evers for effect. You get my point. Never be removed. Through Christ, we know this is true because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. In other words, our anchor, our salvation in Christ, the righteousness that we are wrapped up in will last forever. You can be sure of this. Not because you're awesome, but because Christ is awesome. And Christ has wrapped you in his righteousness. And that's why it says in this song over and over, it shall never be removed. This is incredible news. And this assurance is not found in anything or anyone else in all of life. That's why, um, in fact, our psalm in the final verse, in verse 10, we see the wicked man seeing it and getting angry at it. Gnashing of teeth and melting and all of those great vivid descriptions of, of wicked man perishing. Because this hope, this assurance, this salvation and righteousness, it's not found in anything else in life, no matter how hard you run at it. The hope that we have and the blessing of this psalm is in the promise we have in Christ as God wraps us up in his righteousness and in his salvation forever. That is our hope. And so now, in Christ, we are blessed in him and we will not be moved why will we not be moved? Because he will not be moved. And we are in him. That is, I told you I was excited to preach this morning. So that means no matter what you're facing, no matter how wavy your life is, you have stability and you have an anchor that is sure forever, no matter what you face. Why? Because he keeps his promises. He does. Praise God for that. So listen, for those of you this morning, um, as we read this psalm and, and describes the life you're called to live in Christ, as we read this, if you're here and you, and you just think, well, oh, my life doesn't look like that. Um, my life feels like the opposite. I feel like I'm literally being tossed and turned by every little, little wave is tossing me to and from. If that's you and you're hearing this, you feel like, what, bad news? Are you kidding me? Bad news and people are rocking my boat. Um, 
This psalm describes steadiness, and I feel anything but steady. If that's you, um, this call this morning is to look to and come to Jesus. It's simply stated as this. There's no advice, no life hack I can give you. Look to Jesus, and don't stop. (laughs) Don't forget who you are in him. And I want to speak directly to two groups of people. On this hand, if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you have placed your trust, your faith in Jesus, and you this morning, if you're being honest, would say, I am unsteady. That is you. You are like a boat in the waves. That is you, and your focus is dead on those waves, just staring at the waves, nervous about what is coming next. What wave? How big is it going to be? Will it be higher than the last? Like, if that is you and your attention is out there. This morning through the psalm, I want to encourage you. That stuff may be happening. I'm not downplaying what you're going through. But what I am saying through this psalm is that we can shift our focus from staring at that wave and then that wave we think might be coming and we can then turn our attention back to the truth that we have in the word of God. As a child of God, we can shift our focus from out there, what might happen out there, and for a moment we can come back to the fact that we have an anchor that will never be removed. Like if we can shift our focus just for a moment, And by the way, life in Christ is all about shifting your focus, remembering and coming back, right? So you're going to have to do this again. This isn't a one-time application. But what I'm saying, if you're in a storm right now and you're unsteady, you're feeling doubt and you are in Christ, don't believe the lie you have to stay there. Look to him and what he has done in his word. Look to this psalm and remember that this is describing you because we're prone to forget. We're prone to distraction. We're prone to believe the lie that the enemy puts in our plate that we're not safe. And we're not secure. And so maybe you've forgotten that your anchor holds. And I want to encourage you, give you a reminder that Christ is the sure and steady anchor. Come what may, the righteousness he's wrapped you in is not going to be removed. And that means that you are secure, eternally and steady in Jesus. That's you on this hand. Look to Jesus. That's you. On this other hand, if you're here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, listen, stability and safety, and security, all these things that we've been talking about, listen, will not be found, cannot be found anywhere else in life apart from Jesus. What I mean by that is your finances, and your stuff, and your relationships, and your health. I'm going to tell you what you already know, but that stuff comes and it goes. It does. We praise God when, when we, we are blessed with those things, but don't hold your, your hope on those things. They come, they go, they go, but Jesus remains forever, and that is what we cry out for, something that would last forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, and all of that stuff that we seek security in will one day fade while Jesus Christ will not If you're looking for it anywhere else, stop it. In love, stop it. Come to Christ. He is the sure and the steady anchor for this life and for eternity. Scripture says when you confess, 
and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Meaning you will know that you know that you know that you are his in Christ. And Romans says, now nothing therefore can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And then it lists like a ton of terrible things. And then at the end it says nothing else either. So you fill in that blank. Nothing will separate you from him. And we can know that we know that we know that we are saved. This is that ballast of assurance. That stabilizing force in your boat as waves rock you side to side. You may be here and and, um, you may never have experienced that. You may just feel like you're being tossed and but maybe you're here and you think about someone in your life and you're like, you know what? They've demonstrated what it's like to walk through this life without being tossed side by side. Um, listen, come to Christ. Stop trying to be good on your own because that's soiled and polluted rags. Come to him and be wrapped up, clothed in his righteousness and in Christ you will never be moved. For all of us, no matter who you are, for all of us, this leads us full circle back to where we began this morning with the first three words. What shall we say then? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's not forget this is a psalm of praise. Because in light of Christ and the good news of Jesus, in light of his righteousness, his grace, his love, the the riches, the security that we have in him forever, what else are we to do? What else can we do but praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I thank you um, that I get the great joy this morning of proclaiming good news. And it's not my good news, but I get the joy of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. And I thank you for what you have done. I thank you that it is not left up to me and my righteousness or us and what we've done or failed to do, but God, that we are all sinners fallen short of the glory of God. But you, rich in grace and mercy, while we were dead in our sins, demonstrated your great love by sending Christ to die for us. We are thankful that on the cross, our sin was placed on his shoulders and his righteousness placed on us through faith and faith alone. Now we stand on that this morning. I pray for um, my brothers and sisters here in the room that we would know that we are in Christ and secure. For anyone who feels tossed and thrown side to side, for anyone here who is currently looking outside the boat, anticipating another massive wave, for anyone here, I pray that you would steady our hearts as we look to Calvary, as we look to the cross, And as we consider the truth and know the truth of your word and what you have said about us, help us to believe it. And God, I pray for those who are here who do not yet know you or trust you, know that they are in you and secure. I pray you would soften our hearts and open our eyes, that we would stop our striving and instead come in humility placing our trust and our faith in what you have done. 
for all of us, we praise, all praise and glory goes to Christ. His riches and righteousness have no end. And therefore, we stand on the fact that he is our sure and our steady anchor for eternity. God, so now we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.